Welcome everyone to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmi. It's August, and I know a lot of gardeners are feeling tired at the end of summer, whether summer is still happening where you live or not. For us, right by the time you hear this, there's like two months left of summer here in Los Angeles. Burnout is real, which brings me to today's guest. Devorah Browse is an urban homesteader and frontline community organizer and the creator of From Soil to Soul. She has two master's degrees in land use and conflict transformation, which she has used to turn patches of land into gardens for systems impacted communities. Dev is also a permaculture designer who's been the founding director of two different food-centered organizations, and she's given a TEDx talk on burnout. Welcome to the podcast, Dev. I'm so grateful to be here with you. Yeah, we met back in a, during a composting intensive with Elaine Weber, not to be confused with Elaine Ingham, uh, back in 2012. And I think at the time you were executive director of Natia, an organization you founded to mitigate longstanding inequities in the distribution of food, among other things. Uh, but so what started you off on this food related journey that you've been on? Yes, just a small correction. Um, that was founded by Rabbi Noah Farkas, ah. who today is the head of the Jewish Federation in Los Angeles. And I was lucky to be able to work for this nonprofit. And what we did was create a network of churches, synagogues, mosques, temples that have land and work around the premise that many people in the neighborhoods where there are faith-based centers don't have access to growing food. And can we convert unused land for the purpose of tending the commons, growing food? In Got community? it. And so was that the beginning of your experiences with gardening or had you started long before then? Yeah, so actually I was very deep in the world of land rights and I was living in Israel and Palestine for 15 years and I was running a small nonprofit called Bustan, which in Arabic and in Hebrew translates as the kind of polyculture, abundant, fertile <laughs> space where all of the tiers and all of the layers of the landscape are filled with um, plants and that produce food and medicine. Right. And that organization kind of opened my eyes to the, the very deep connection between areas where there are wars in our communities and in our men between countries over resources over land and water and it opened my um my heart to the ways in which people can move through that by connecting with each other through common ground through tending the land together boy we need a lot more of that don't we <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's tricky yeah, so you've been doing this for a while now because you were there for 15 years and now you're back and we met a, we met in 2012. You've been here since then. So, wow, okay. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting older. <laughs> okay, so let's back up a minute though. Describe your homestead and what you have growing on for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So we live in Los Angeles in Sherman Oaks and that's on Tongva lands. 
and we have just shy of a fifth of an acre where we're, this is basically hardiness zones of 10A. Um, and we have a beautiful fruit orchard with 26 fruit trees. And in between the fruit trees, we have a couple of beds where we're growing perennials and we're raising chickens in the back. Um, and we're practicing water-wise agroecology. But this year, everything's fallow in our yard because um, this is an ancient sabbatical year. And so- And we're gonna talk about that more in a minute. That's, <laughs> I wanna know more about this sabbatical because this is about your TED talk. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So right now, the only plants that are growing and actually thriving in our garden are perennials. We have lots of different celeries and asparagus, artichokes, holy basil and lavender, lemon balm. A lot of different herbs are thriving. Thyme hmm, and, and rue. Um, but what I'm noticing is that the annuals cannot survive this level of heat mm -hmm. without having ample supplementation of water, mm -hmm. as we know well. And concentrating the ways in which I'm deploying water on my landscape is has been um, an exciting experiment over the course of this year. Because without those really thirsty annuals, the perennials are able to actually stretch out and, and grow. Right. And that's what perennials, that's the beautiful thing about regenerative and permaculture design is using as many perennial vegetables as possible. But the the perennial vegetable concept is something that I think ties into your current work. Uh, right now, you're designing regenerative practices for soul care, community care, and earth care. And your TEDx talk was about the sabbatical, quote, we're burning out, what can we glean from nature to regenerate, unquote. Tell us more about that. Mm -hmm. It's so dry right now. We have many, as you shared, we have several months left of really intense heat, triple digit heat, and it's relentless. The landscape has been um, burned to a crisp. Many of the many of the fruiting parts of the fruit trees have burned and it, like the leaves are crispy we're on 16 minutes a week of water and the rose bush is dead and so walking past that this morning as my husband was coming home he felt like he got stabbed he came in and his hands were bleeding that's a metaphor for the landscape right now and there are leaf-footed bugs devouring the pomegranates and adult and nymph box elders that are <laughs> literally redefining population density. Like they're ex their populations are exploding because the earth is so dry yeah. and the June bugs are, 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 are eviscerating our figs, right? It's, I could go on and on about how hard it is to grow food at our urban homestead in the current climate. Mm -hmm. But what I feel really inspired by is how the landscape is not just a pretty postcard, a backdrop for us to look at. And when it's not looking perfect, race to the nursery to buy chemicals, to force it to look good, <laughs> but to actually mm -hmm. learn from the 
cycle of degeneration that we're in right now at this moment. And people don't really allow ourselves to have a moment to pause and fallow. But the soil and the soul are almost interconnected, like the lessons that we can glean from the soil are directly applicable. We also need a chance to regenerate. Right. Now you mentioned following. So I want to stop there for a minute. It's a chance for those out listening to this aren't familiar with following. It's a chance for the soil to rest and rebuild. But following is often a negative, it has a negative connotation with our, you know, our agriculture in terms of like big ag. <clears throat> they ought, they leave fields fallow, meaning the soil is exposed to the elements which can cause damage to the ecosystem, both above and below ground. So what, what are you doing or what do you recommend? Are you growing, do you, do you put cover crops on or mulch or anything? Have you done anything to, to maybe mitigate some of that? Or what is your take on that? I guess I should ask. I, I like to distinguish between fallow, which is a purposeful chance to revitalize the microbiology of the soil mm -hmm. and to allow for the spaciousness of, of, of replenishing fertility in our, in our beds um, to create a, a balance between cycles of growth and decay, like that, that compost is, is feeding the next season mm -hmm. versus neglect. And I think that neglect is often the ways in which we're treating the commons, like that, that the shared space is where we have often the poorest practices around nutrient, um, re replenishing the nutrients <laughs> in those areas. Yeah. The landscapers that are caring for those areas are not paid a living wage where they have the respect of the community for tending and stewarding our grounds. Um, you know, and the, those areas are neglected more often than not because the money doesn't go far enough. Um, and, and so I, I'd like to think that following is actually a practice where we're able to take stock, to like step back and look at the whole of the ecosystem. Sometimes when you're caught up in the minutia of all the tasks that you have to do to keep your garden thriving, we miss taking a note of what's happening on the bigger picture. So following is like zooming out mm -hmm. looking from a 30,000 30, feet above. What can I do to bolster the immunity of the terrain in my, um, in, in my space that I'm, that I'm gifted with the opportunity to steward at this time. Got it. I, I like the way of thinking about it that way. Cause I think that can be confusing to people sometimes when we speak so much about always cover the soil with something, you know? Um, so that puts it in perspective. Now, I think many of us have hit burnout or have recurring burnout, myself included, and some of us don't seem to recover anymore. So what lessons do you take away from nature that would help us avoid or recover from burnout? So, my inspiration comes from the Torah, from the original teachings of the ancient sabbatical. 
and this year that's coming to an end in September with the start of our new year of Rosh Hashanah mm -hmm. is a very sacred year of allowing the bigger systems to follow. And so this very radical concept, it applies from my perspective just as much, if not more, to the ways in which we're depleting our own finite energy reserves. It's not just about the ways that we're plundering the, the fields with extractive farming and conventional industrial scale farming practices. It's also the ways in which we work and we're all the time focused on productivity and achieving, bringing our best. And that's what happens not only in the corporate world, but also in the nonprofit arena. Definitely. We just have to keep on going. And that's, that's certainly been the case for health workers for the last two and a half years. Absolutely. And, and just think about single moms that are parenting while doing work on top of it and mm -hmm. it, it, teachers that are being pelted all the time with the intensities and the pressures um, and the tightness. And what I think we have to learn from nature is that degeneration feeds growth, that composting right now, when you are the most depleted, when you are looking outside your, um, at your garden bed and you see that it is not doing what it wants to do, what it knows how to do. It's that the life force is, is not thriving right now because it has too many uphill challenges with the predators and the weather patterns, as well as the drought mm -hmm. um, on top of it all, particularly in, on the West Coast. You know, so what I think we can learn is that taking small but clear steps to make sure that every square inch of our property is being amply composted and mulched, that we have thick layers of nutrient dense material that's covering over the earth so that earth knows how to restore itself and deal with the ups and the downs, that's these right. valleys and peaks. But we have a responsibility to step up our stewardship right now and to make sure also <laughs> that we're not, um, watering the sidewalks and <laughs> yes the water like take a moment to walk outside when your sprinkler is is on and and notice where the where the water is going because yeah. if it's not growing properly if it's not feeding food productive plants or medicinal plants and it's just watering grass that might not be the best use of the limited amount of water that we have right now and also broken sprinkler heads can easily be capped Right. Now, I want to go back to composting. You kind of started that as a metaphor for this period of time of taking back and looking at things. Uh, you know, it's funny because I run into people, clients who are like, how long will it take before I have compost that's ready to use in the garden? They're really anxious for that to happen. And there's all kinds of devices out there that are promising compost in 21 days. And I'm like, that's not reality and, and nor should we want it to be. So I'm going to ask you the question using this metaphor, how much time do you think it is necessary, you know, for people to take off? It's not just obviously not just a week or two weeks or, you know, whatever it is that we as Americans mostly get uh, for our vacation time. So what are, what are you looking at 
as the process or the time frame for people to do this kind of following and sabbatical-ing, for lack of better words? <laughs> well, I, I'd like to answer that in two parts. First, I'd like to share what the common practices today. And then I'd like to speak about the ideal and what the ancient sabbatical is actually calling for. Okay. Okay. So the common practice is you've given seven years of your, of your life or more to an institution. And you are, if, if you are among the lucky ones to have lasted um, through the ups and the downs of your institutional workplace setting, you may be among the 4% that gets um, a, a gifted a sabbatical in our country. Mm -hmm. um, if you're like the rest of us, you can't really afford to take a sabbatical if it's not gifted to you from your um, academic or otherwise corporate institution. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a pedigree. It's, it's sort of set up in our culture as something that's just for the elite. And there are certain foundations and some organizations that are now working on raising funds in order to gift people in the community, like particularly in the nonprofit arenas with sabbaticals so that people can restore their levels of energy. They've been giving so much out to the community. Now they can replenish, take time away from email, away from all things relating to work mm -hmm. and uh, take about three months to do so before replenishing. Now the ancient practice of the sabbatical, which is technically practiced only in Israel, Palestine. Like it's not, it's not required by religious law to be practiced here. Mm -hmm. And so the thousands of us that are practicing it here are looking at the sabbatical as a, as like a spiritual exercise, as a discovery. And it doesn't mean that we're not working throughout the, the course of this year that started in September of 21 and continues until September of 22. But we're actually looking at it as a very um, exciting and fertile time to explore all kinds of aspects of what happens when overworked people or overused farmland or overwrought communal structures are actually given enough time to be regenerated. What does that look like? And the ancient sabbatical is for the commons. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's equitably distributed. And it's this call that happens once every seven years. And so if you don't have the, the luxury of taking three months off, um, it's basically the, the way that, that I frame it is it's once every seven years taking even just seven weeks off. And that, you know, combining saving up your vacation time and putting that together to mm -hmm. a place where you commit to yourself to, um, to recharge, to like plug back in. And the ancient sabbatical, last thing I want to share about it is that it's, it's a very um, visionary and, and radical exploration that every seven years, if we are slowing the pace of production, like I'm not selling anything from my land, I'm giving everything away. In fact, this year of the sabbatical is a time when the there is no distinction between the workers and the owners of a piece of land. Fences are, are taken down. Um, so fruit uh, that, that was private is public. Anybody can harvest what is growing in the community. You're basically 
restoring equity. Right. And um, the idea is that every seven cycles of sabbatical would create this, this jubilee, mm. which is like a, a way of imagining a collective power that's so intersectional and so transcendent that it would actually free people who are enslaved, free people who are in jails and forgive debts and redistribute land to its former stewards and owners. So like the 49th year, seven cycles of seven, land ownership is like redistributed. And if only 1% of farmers are African-American today and the most revolutionary you know, climate funding is being discussed um, right now in Congress. Imagine what can happen if we actually were able to put our minds and our hearts together to work, you know, consistently and strategically to change around land ownership patterns. Right. Yeah, and and we have a lot of change to do, I think, around that. Uh, um, particularly, you know, you started out by. Uh, it, introducing your homestead with the land the the Native American tribes dwelled on that that were there, um, and that that's I've I've talked to other guests about that as well. I think this three months so well so here in Southern California we have a really long summer. It starts in March basically, <laughs> and it goes through <laughs> October, and most people who put in their crops in March are putting in their warm and hot weather crops here in where I live. Other places where there's actual winter, they're just putting in their cool season stuff and then their warm season stuff goes in and the hot weather stuff. And then by the time frost hits, it, it you know, they're racing to bring things in. But here it's very different. We, all of our stuff here in August has basically lived out its life cycle and is dying or dead. And if you didn't tuck in some new stuff before the end of June or very early July, everything looks really crappy out there right now. And that's, and, and I have grown to, I've grown accustomed to that look, I guess, out in my yard. And I try to convince my clients that that is okay. And that it's, um, this is our dead zone. This is our winter basically where you can't plant anything and expect it to do well uh, because it's too hot. And this might just be that time to, let it go and relax and let it, you know, let it just look like hell for a little while. Um, I know I can take a break and this is the time of year that I will do any travel that I want to do because I don't have to tend my crops. And if they die, it's okay. Cause they're kind of halfway there anyway. And I, I think I just want to say this to give people permission <laughs> to, to do that. <laughs> um, and I think that when it comes to uh, this following or the sabbatical, the, the, the concepts you're talking about are very much in a, an idealistic uh, society-supported environment where people would be supported uh, by either you know, their institution paying for them to take a break or uh, this, this idea, and I don't want to say magical, but we do have a long way to go to get to this place where everyone shares and supports each other and takes care of each other. But what needs to happen in order for money not to matter in this equation? Because many people live month to month or hand to mouth and aren't able to do that. Or more to the point, like 
how can farmers or even working people who who do live month to month survive in this currency based world? Do you have any suggestions around that? You know, this I think is the looming question, and we're trying to like unearth ways of addressing climate mitigation, climate adaptation, and I think at the same time it's really crucial to even make it as real as possible that even just seven minutes a day, you stop the work and sit still and drink a cold glass of water. Like that you find your own way of not chasing after the the need to finish the job or meet someone else's deadline, but that you allow yourself the pause without feeling um, the insane levels of pressure that we have in this, you know, extractive capitalist culture that we've created. And that's difficult for anyone and everyone. I'm not meaning to like lift us up to like pie in the sky, Pollyannish ideals, but more to say that no one's going to do that for you. And we're the only ones who can learn how to basically read the need of our soil and and tap into the nourishment of what it means to give back to um, the the soil and replenish it. Like we're very good at becoming increasingly efficient about taking from the trees with machinery and the the plants. You know, maximizing the the time shared on on the field with the fewest possible laborers. Mm-hmm. We're very good at thinking through ways of um of like speeding up the the cycle of growth with all kinds of chemicals um and using artificial um synthetic fertilizers and every and any kind of biocide and to try to make things look the way we want them to do and that's an ideal right but i think coming out of that ideal and looking at where there is degeneration so that we can learn from it and work with it learn learn that degeneration is what feeds and so just taking the these months right now to follow the garden by applying compost whole blanket of compost and then pausing just letting the soil do what it does without us kind of inserting ourselves and getting in the way because we have to get to the farmer's market to sell right it's yeah. a kind of humbling it's a kind of 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 remembering that it's not all about what we take from the earth. Really, it's all about finding our ways of giving back to the earth and slowing down. Yeah. And I, I you make me think of the organization like I belong to is called the Time Bank, our Time Bank. And it's one of many where there's alternative currency where time for dollars is not a not the thing. It's not the currency. It's equal time for whatever services you can provide. And an hour of your time is worth an hour of my time, no matter what it is that you do, whether you're walking my dog for me or I'm giving you gardening advice, it's it's um, all worth the same thing in time credits. So that's something people can look into as a way of spending less and being able to take some time for themselves. Um, so let's jump to tip time. Do you have a favorite tip? (laughs) Tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Hmm. I'm 
would really love to share that I think right now it's it's, it's impending um, fire season. And so there's this kind of like stillness or heaviness in, in the hot air um, where we just, we kind of know what's what's coming around the pike. And it's a little scary. It's, 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 it's a time of, of grieving on the land and with the people in our communities. And I think that rather than succumbing to the need to fix grief and push through it and get back onto that pretty face that you post on Instagram or that um, productive side of yourself on LinkedIn, I think there's something to be said for holding space for the grief so that um, we can not go to the nursery and buy chemicals to fix things mm -hmm. right now, but we can ask ourselves larger questions like who in our communities can we turn to um, and, and, and share uh, some concern with about what's happening in our communities. So building relationships. It's all about relationships. Right. I think, and this is a time. So I think that my tip of the week might be <laughs> avoid the temptation in middle August mm -hmm. to race to buy pesticides, but rather um, sit still and know that, that maybe some of that death and decomposition is actually feeding the life cycle. Maybe it's gonna make um, your relationship to your garden more intimate and more authentic. If we learn not to fight against pr natural processes, but to feed them, yes. then it might be your instinct to notice that those gin bugs are inside your figs and then come out with your compost and feed your fig tree. Mm -hmm. If we can work to change the impulse to, to a place where we're actually feeding instead of fighting, yeah, I think there's a lot of growth that can come from that. Yeah. And I just want to throw out to listeners that this is exactly what I talk about in my creating a healthy garden online pest control course, because it's really not about the war. It's about working with nature and, and learning these, this, this way of thinking about your garden and the above and below ground ecosystems that make them sustainable and a and resilient to whatever's coming so just not a commercial but just saying that this is tying in to our conversation today uh great because that's a i think that's a really good tip i want to go back real quick to the seven minutes per day and drinking a cold glass of water are you are you meditating or are you just sitting there staring out at your garden what's your what are your practices there so oftentimes those seven minutes for me involve weeding. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pulling out like those places inside of myself that are um, more <laughs> in, ingrained. And I'm trying to, to work with my inner soil, my inner terrain while I'm working with the outer terrain. So sitting still um, is another way of practicing any of this. Um, medicine like just taking in without trying to to change um during those seven minutes whatever works best for your personality type it's about replenishing like plugging back into nature and learning a lesson from 
um, your surroundings. That could be a house plant that could, that's in your office. Mm-hmm. That could be um, your artichoke and why it's leaning so much. <laughs> why it's so heavy. <laughs> it could be something that you just just pause and 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 take in some gentle movement of the wind. Just moving with the gentle movement of the wind and reminding ourselves that we too are of nature. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that expert tip, Devorah. And (laughs) thanks for being on the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Christy. How do people find you? Oh, uh, on Instagram, you can find me at dev.browse. And you can find me on my website, from soil to soul with the number two. From soil to number two, soul. All right, garden nerds, you'll find a link to Devorah's website this week. We'll also share links to her social media feed. And I'm sure I will find something else to put in the show notes on the blog post to go along with this. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1 on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!